what the Bible really says. And by the way, how many of you have been enjoying the Word of God? Yes. Praise the Lord. I have too. I have too. I really, really, really enjoy getting into the Word of God. Let's look at what it says here. And uh, well, before I do, let me just add, have another prayer. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us. We place ourselves in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, going back to the four principles, again, of true Bible interpretation. Number one, God is what, everybody? God is love. We're discovering that more and more. And, um, you know, the theme of the Bible is Jesus. And how much of the Bible is to be our guide? The whole Bible. Number three, the Bible cannot contradict itself. And number four, it's always important for us to read in what? In context, you know. Um, and this is God's love letter to us. It's his love letter to us. He speaks to us through his word. So God is love. The whole Bible is to be our guide. The Bible cannot contradict itself. And we ought to always read it in context. It's important that we do that. Please notice what it says on the inside cover of your study guide. It says, Jerusalem, the city of peace has a history like few other places on earth. Over thousands of years, many wars have been fought over this site. Today, Jerusalem is still one of the most volatile places in the world. The most prized possession in Jerusalem is the Temple Mount, considered holy by both Jews and Muslims. It was, it was where Solomon built the first great Israelite temple, which Babylon's king Nebuchadnezzar later destroyed. Herod's temple later built on the same site was eventually destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. Since that time, there's been talk about rebuilding this temple, but according to the Bible, should the temple be rebuilt? What was the purpose of the ancient temple, also known as the tabernacle or sanctuary? What did all the symbols and ceremonies mean? And as the ancient high priest ministered in the temple on behalf of God's people in times past, who represents us before God today? Let's take a look at what the first question is on our study guide. Number one, what was the main purpose of the Jewish sanctuary? The main purpose of the Jewish sanctuary. Please notice what your Bible say in Exodus 25 verse 8. Exodus 25 verse 8, the Bible says this. God gives instruction to Moses. He says, let them make me a what? A sanctuary that I may what? Dwell among them. Dwell among them. Beloved, I want to share with you that one of the things that first jumps out at me when I read the text like that is how much God wants to dwell with us. How much God wants to be with us. In fact, over there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and I believe it's also verse 23 or 24, it says that, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their what? From their sins. And then, just a few verses down further from that, it says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God what? God with us. So do you see that? Let me, let me, I don't know if you guys capture that in those two titles that he's given, those two names that he's given. Right there is the entire plan of salvation. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their what? From their sins. And then his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God what? With us. So what Christ came to do, the whole plan of salvation can be summed up in these two names. God, Jesus came to save us from our sins in order for us to dwell with him. That's the whole plan of salvation in a nutshell. 
And I'm thankful that Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, came and in the flesh, according to John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that he became flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we might be held and we beheld the glory of the only begotten. And, Father, and, and beloved, I want to share with you, I praise God that Jesus, Jesus wanted to dwell with us. God wanted to dwell with his people. Would you say amen? Please notice God created humans for love and companionship. He even made us in his own image so we can understand him better and learn to love him more. When our original parents sinned, the closeness that existed between God and humans was interrupted. Sin raised a barrier between humankind and our pure and holy God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says that it is our iniquity that separates us from God. The sanctuary provided a means whereby God could again live with his people. His presence would reside permanently in the sanctuary. In this way, God went wherever his people went, guiding, providing for, and protecting them. The sanctuary symbols and services taught the people to know and understand their loving God. So at least we know according to scripture that there were three. There was the, the, the tent tabernacle, which is mentioned here in Exodus chapter 25. And then there was the temple of Solomon. And then there was that third temple, the temple of Herod, which he embellished and made it look the way that it did, but it was still not as, glor not as, not as um, in splendor or glory rivaling that second temple of Solomon. But please notice question number two. So the main purpose of the Jewish sanctuary was for God to what, everybody? To dwell with his people and among them. Notice question number two. What did God show his people through the sanctuary and its services? What did God show his people through the sanctuary and its services? Please notice what it says in Psalm 77 verse 13. Your what? Your way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. I find it amazing over there. If you, will, if you want to turn with me real quickly, and we'll cover this also. But please go with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Notice it says here that your way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. Notice what, what, what John chapter 14, beginning in verse 6 says. And by the way, you're going to discover that all throughout the Gospels, it's, it, it contains sanctuary language. <clears throat> That's why over there in John chapter 1 verse 29, John the Baptist, when, he, when, when Jesus was walking along the banks of the Jordan River, he said to the people, and in the hearing of the people, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of what? The whole world. He was talking sanctuary language there. He pointed out the lamb. And if you look at what it says here, if you were to read in the context in John chapter 14, you must understand that the context is also there in John chapter 13 because Jesus just shared with his disciples that he would be going to Jerusalem, that he would be tortured, that he would be condemned, and eventually he would be put to death. Now you must understand that that's the reason why Jesus says to them, let not your heart be what? Troubled. Because they knew that what Jesus was saying is that they would soon be without their master. And so he says to them, I'm going to begin actually in verse, in verse uh, 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. Please notice what the Bible says. This is why this is so important to read in context. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And, when, and where I go, what does he say? You know. you know, 
And the what? And the way you know. See? Oh. That, again, we're looking at, we're looking at how, how the Bible connects. Now, please read on further. Now, Thomas says here, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And then Jesus' reply was this. Jesus said unto him, I am the what? The way, and what else? The truth, and what else? And the life? No one comes to the Father except through who? Through me. Now, you know what Jesus is referring to here? He just told him in chapter 13 that I'm going to be condemned, I'm going to be tortured, and I'm going to be eventually put to death. So he, too, was talking about that he was going to fulfill the sacrificial system, that he would be the lamb. And what he was telling them is something that they're familiar with because they have been doing this all their lives. Isn't that right? That's why he said, and you know the way. You know where I'm going. I'm heading to the cross. I'm about to fulfill the sacrificial system. And so that's why it was kind of, you know, I don't know if Thomas was really saying it because he's, you know, he's always known to be doubting or if he's just, you know, but he said, but we don't know the way, Lord. And Jesus said, but I am the what? The way. That's why, that's why over there in Psalm it says, thy way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. And so for in order for us to understand the plan of salvation, we have to look into the sanctuary. That's why the whole New Testament, particularly, I mean, the Gospels is littered with it, but particularly the book of Hebrews and Revelation deal a lot with the sanctuary. But let's move on. The sanctuary was a three-dimensional model given to show God's way of salvation. The sanctuary is mentioned or alluded to throughout the Bible and involves a wide variety of symbols and ceremonies. The sanctuary outlines the complete gospel story in detail. It presents a God of judgment and mercy and demonstrates how God will ultimately and eternally solve the problem of sin. Would you say amen to that? That's what the sanctuary service is all about. The books of Daniel and Revelation base their prophecies in large part on the subject of the sanctuary. In fact, the sanctuary and its services are mentioned or alluded to many times in the book of Revelation. There are few, if any, Bible topics more important for us to understand than the subject of the sanctuary. Let's go to question number three. What was the central teaching of the sanctuary? Please notice Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the Bible says, Without shedding of what, everybody? Without shedding of blood, there is no what? There's no remission. The sanctuary service was based on the sacrifice of animals. This heart-wrenching ceremony taught that the shedding of blood was required to obtain forgiveness, remission, and cleansing from sin. Blood is a symbol of life. I just read that to you in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Only blood from the life of the one who was sinned against, the God of heaven, could provide forgiveness. Can you see, that, can you see why? Could you also see why the Jewish leaders and some of the people there in John chapter 6 had a hard time with Jesus when he said that you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood? You know, because they, they, know, they know, you know, a lot of the health laws and the ceremonial laws, and they're thinking to themselves, I mean, how would you feel if some man came along and said, in order for you to live, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood? Many of us would think, man, we're not cannibals, right? <laughs> but, but they understood. Listen, they understood what he was saying, but the, the fact was they just couldn't accept that he was saying that. They rejected his claims. They rejected what he was saying. 
But here we go. When we look at it, this is why, this is why beyond a shadow of a doubt, and you've got to be here tomorrow night when I'm covering the Messiah and the judgment, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the Messiah of Bible prophecy. Would you say amen? He is the Lamb of God. Beyond, I mean, no doubt. No doubt. Because the one thing, the one thing I've come to, come to know is that either Christianity, Christianity is what it claims to be, based on the person of Jesus Christ, or it's the biggest hoax in the entire world. But, yeah, but I believe that based upon the evidence of Scripture, <laughs> we have not misplaced our faith, folks. Would you say amen? No, 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 no. We have not misplaced our faith. Please notice, so without the shedding of blood, and so this was a very bloody service showing the effects of sin. But it says, forgiveness for the sinner. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood takes away the sin of the world. Through the sanctuary services, God demonstrated the great cost of sin. Through the blood of animal sacrifices, God pointed toward the great sacrifice, Savior and substitute, Jesus Christ. Question number four. Where did Moses get the plans for the building of the sanctuary? Please notice Exodus chapter 25, verse 9. Exodus 25, verse 9. The Bible says, according to all that I show you, that is the what? The pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So let me ask you a question. According to the Bible, okay, just according to the Bible, does the Bible say that God showed Moses a pattern? And that he was to follow that pattern, right? So he was to follow that pattern, okay? When Moses built the sanctuary, he followed blueprints that were given to him by God. The sanctuary was meticulously designed by God, and every symbol and ceremony was significant. The original sanctuary was a tent-like structure that the Jews transported with them as they journeyed through the wilderness. Exodus 25, chapters 25 through 40, it was made of a variety of materials, including acacia wood, goat's hair, animal skins, and precious metals such as silver and gold. The sanctuary consisted of three aspects. Three aspects. The courtyard. The courtyard. The holy place. And the most what? Holy place. The courtyard set a boundary around the sanctuary. There was only one entrance to the sanctuary through the front curtain or veil. It was through this veil that the sinner would enter the sanctuary precincts with an animal sacrifice. Within the courtyard was the altar of burnt offering, Exodus 40, verse 6, where the animals were consumed by fire. There was also a laver, Exodus 47, a basin used by the priests to wash their hands and feet prior to entering the sanctuary. In the holy place was a seven-branch candlestick, Exodus 25, 31 through 40, kept constantly burning with oil. There was also the altar of incense, where incense burned continually, Exodus 30, verses 7 and 8, and the table of showbread, upon which were loaves of flat bread, Exodus 25, 30, and Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. It was in the most holy place that the presence of God resided, the most holy place was the home of the Ark of the Covenant, Exodus 40, verse 3. On the Ark stood two angels made of pure gold. What do we call them? What were those angels? Cherubs, right? The cherubim. Who once upon a time was a cherub? Lucifer. 
Thank you. And Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel chapter 28 shares that with us. Then it says, the two angels made of pure gold, watching over the mercy seat, which was upon the ark. Inside the ark was the law of God, the Ten Commandments, which was written with the finger of God. Would you say amen? Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. What an elaborate system that portrayed the plan of salvation and what Christ was going to do. By the way, every, every part of the sanctuary is Christ. Here's what I love, too. What's left out of here. Now, pastor, I don't know, maybe sometime in the future, I would love to come and do an entire sanctuary series here at Enon Paul. I love the sanctuary. I just don't have the time tonight to delve too deeply into it. But I will say this, that around the sanctuary, we know that there was the encampment, right? The 12 tribes of Israel were encamped around the sanctuary. And the center, the hub of their encampment was the sanctuary service. And what I love about it is we must understand something. This is how much God loved us. He sent Jesus down, and he's not only every part of the sanctuary, Brother Darren, but he was also a part of our encampment because he pitched his tent right next to ours. <laughs> it says that he pitched, he tabernacled with us. How would you love it if Jesus moved in you to your neighborhood and became your neighbors? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you be blessed by that? I would. So he joins in the encampment, but then every part of the sanctuary points to him. He fulfilled. He is the plan of salvation. Please notice question number five. How did the sinner re receive forgiveness for sins? Leviticus chapter 4 verse 33, the Bible says. We know that this is when one brings in a lamb. The Bible says he shall lay his head on the head of the sin offering. And what, everybody? And kill it as a sin offering at the place where they kill the burnt offering. The sinner would take a lamb to the sanctuary, walk through the veil, and approach the altar of burnt offering. He would then place his hand on the head of the lamb and confess his specific sins onto that lamb. Leviticus 4, 5, 5. By doing this, the sinner symbolically transferred his sins to the lamb, and the lamb would die. In what was intended by God to be a difficult process, the sinner then killed the lamb himself. You think that that was difficult for somebody who raised the lamb to, be to about a year old and then brought that lamb over? I mean, I mean look, at, look at how, how hurt we are when we lose a pet today, Right? And so now you can imagine now the difficulty of bringing that lamb to the sanctuary and then placing your hands upon the innocent victim. Again, it's a symbol of Jesus. And confessing your sins, your specific sins, onto the head of that lamb, thereby transferring your sin and the guilt onto that innocent lamb. And then the only, listen, the only part that we have in this entire service, that's why I know, that's why I know it's all Jesus. Because we're the ones responsible for killing the lamb. The priest would give you the knife, and you would slit the throat of that lamb. And that blood would then come pouring out, and the priest would then catch it in a basin. 
Okay? Some of that he would pour there around the altar of sacrifice, and then they would place that lamb on the altar of sacrifice, and that lamb would be sacrificed, a sin offering. I'm thankful for Jesus. How about you? It says here, and by the way, there were other things that were brought. Poor families would bring turtle doves. That's what Joseph and Mary presented. Depending on the sacrifice offered, the priest either ate part of the animal or sprinkled some of its blood inside the sanctuary. Thus the sin was transferred from the sinner. Listen, from the sinner to the lamb, and then from the lamb to the priest, and then into the what? Into the sanctuary. The sinner left the sanctuary free from the penalty of sin. Please notice question number six. On what was the Hebrew sanctuary modeled? Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, We have such an high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the what? The true tabernacle, which who pitched? Or the Lord erected and not man. The earthly sanctuary was modeled after the sanctuary in heaven. It was a miniature, a scale model miniature of the sanctuary in heaven. The earthly sanctuary was modeled after the sanctuary in heaven. The sanctuary that Moses built was a shadow, a type, representing the original temple that God built. As the book of Hebrews points out, there is a high priest granting salvation to sinners from the sanctuary in heaven. This being so, there is no need for a new temple to be erected in Jerusalem, the true sanctuary. The one that should be our focus is in heaven. Would you say amen? The sanctuary spoken of in the Bible's end-time prophecies is a sanctuary in heaven and not a sanctuary on planet earth. Now, beloved, notice what it says in question number seven. What did Jesus do in the courtyard of this earth? Yes, Brett. Um, when you're All I can say to that is that according to many scholars and historians, they believe that Jeremiah, Jeremiah and others took it somewhere and hid it. And we don't know. All I know is God knows. Yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, um, Please notice what it says in question number seven. What did Jesus do in the courtyard of, his, of this earth? The courtyard of this earth. John one twenty nine again, John the Baptist, seeing Jesus, says, Behold who? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God made the great sacrifice to provide forgiveness to sinful humanity. As sacrifices were offered in the courtyard of the earthly sanctuary, it was on this earth that Jesus, the divine Son of God, died. When he died on Calvary, the veil in the earthly sanctuary was torn from top to bottom. Matthew 25 through 51. By the way, um, according to the book of um, Hebrews, I, I got to find, got to think of that reference. Um, that veil also represented Jesus and his flesh. 
Um, the veil in the earthly sanctuary was torn from top to bottom, Matthew 27, verse 51, indicating that the services of the earthly sanctuary were obsolete from that moment on. By his death, Jesus brought an end to sacrifice and offering, Daniel 9, 27. God's true sanctuary is the heavenly sanctuary and not an earthly sanctuary or temple. And I say praise God for the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Done away with that ceremonial and that sacrificial system we no longer need to observe or to bring animals for sacrifice because he is he is our sacrifice in the life death and heavenly ministry of jesus it is demonstrated that there's no longer any need for an earthly temple our heavenly high priest ministers in a heavenly temple the earthly temple is now obsolete and there's no biblical mandate for a new earthly temple to be constructed any earthly temple constructed for the purpose of offering animal sacrifices could not be the temple of God as the offering of animal sacrifices would be a denial of the death of Jesus on behalf of the human family. Let's move on. Question number eight. How does the furniture in the sanctuary represent Jesus? How does the furniture in the sanctuary represent Jesus? Please notice, and this is in the first compartment, the holy place. Each piece of furniture in the sanctuary service represents an aspect of Jesus' work to save us from sin. Notice, number one. In the courtyard, we have the altar of burnt what? Burnt offering. That, that represents the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary for you and me. And then the laver represents, Jesus says, I am the living what? I am the living water. That's what he says to the woman at the well. It also represents regeneration or baptism. I'm going to get to some of this stuff a little bit later. And then the candlestick, Jesus refers to himself as being the light of the world. And then showbread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The altar of incense represents the righteousness of Jesus mixed with the prayers of the faithful, Revelation chapter 8, verse 3. And then, of course, the Ark of the Covenant and mercy seat, the mercy seat of God offered to those who break his law. Okay? And so that's where we see Jesus in all of the, the first compartment of the holy place. First compartment of the holy place. Now, beloved, you wanna, if you follow that, you're going to discover that those are all the steps of salvation that each and every one of us must take as well. We come to Christ. We recognize that he's our sacrifice. We recognize that it's our sins that placed him on the cross. And then we follow him to the labor, and we are regenerated. We are born again in water and the spirit. And then our life takes on a whole new meaning. Now we become the candlestick because candlestick represents light or witnessing, right, or sharing your testimony. So now you become a witness and a testimony for Jesus Christ. And then the showbread represents that your life now has become a life of prayer, a life of prayer. And then the altar of incense, or the showbread, I'm sorry, represents that you are studying and eating the word of what? The word of who? The word of God. The word of God. And so you're, 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 you're spending time in the word of God. You're spending time daily in the word of God. And then the altar of um, incense represents your life of prayer. And so do you see that? You accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice. You're baptized. Now you are in the word. You're in the word. You're spending time in prayer, and you're also witnessing. Would you say amen? amen. And then the altar, the, the Ark of the Covenant represents God's law, which he wants to write according to Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 10. He wants to write in our hearts and in our minds, and he wants to dwell in us. And so we have the whole, the whole plan of salvation laid out for us, and you see that not only does it represent Jesus in every way, but it also represents and is manifested in the lives of his followers. Every step of the way. Please notice question number nine. Who is our high priest today? Church, who is it? Jesus. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. 
Hebrews 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. What's his name? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Today, everyone still needs a priest for salvation, a heavenly high priest. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus is our only mediator today. Would you say amen? Praise the Lord. Question number 10. What does Jesus do as high priest in the heavenly sanctuary? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. The Bible says, he is also able to what? To save to the uttermost. He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make what, everybody? Intercession, Intercession for us. Would you say amen? amen? What a high priest. You know, I heard one, one preacher put it this way. I believe it was Ron Halverson Sr. Came to Hawaii. You know, he has, a, he, has a, he has an awesome testimony as well. You know, he's now resting in Jesus, but he has a sermon he's always preached. It's called Gangs to God. And I remember him. He would always preach. He'd always say that God is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And beloved, I want to share with you that God, you know, God must be pretty desperate to be reaching down in the gutter and grabbing guys like me out of it to preach this message. Because, you know, okay, so we have a Samoan camp meeting coming up. And I'm not, just, I'm not saying this as a way of, I'm, I'm saying it because it's a matter of fact. But do you know that most of the guys who are coming to preach at the Samoan camp meeting have been pulled out of some serious stuff? I'm talking, I'm talking about the, the main speaker for the camp meeting at the Samoan camp meeting after the English camp meeting is a former crip from L.A. who did prison time. I mean, it's basically the same story as mine's, but he, he's been involved in some stuff, and yet he's going to be the main preacher at our camp meeting? That guy that's coming from Australia that's going to help me teach the class on evangelism and reaching the secular world at camp meeting, he used to be in the biker gang over there in Australia. He wanted to commit suicide once upon a time. He wanted to kill his father for being abusive once upon a time. And he was involved in dealing drugs and, and all this other stuff. And yet now he's coming over and God's going to use him to preach the gospel? God must be pretty desperate to reach out and grab some, some, some guys like us out of the gutter and just say, you know what? Man, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to use you anyhow, and I'm just going to use you. Just open up your mouth and let me speak. And if you think that's something, I got news for you. I got news for you. I'm not saying there's, there's nothing wrong. You know, I'm sure Pastor Ken has a very powerful testimony as well. And, and God is, and all of you have powerful testimonies. You know, I heard, uh, I don't know if it was Brett, but there was some young people, and I always want to make it very clear, I know, you know, whenever I'm preaching to young people and sharing my story, I want them to understand something. You do not have to venture into the world in order to come back and have a powerful testimony. Would you say amen? Now, if God keeps you and God preserves you, that in itself is a powerful testimony. I mean, look at the Bible. It's full of guys like that. Not everyone has that, you know, have to go off and, and experience the world and, 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 and all this other stuff? No. Samuel, Daniel, man, a host of others in the Bible. And what I'm, the reason why I'm sharing that is because, folks, we haven't seen anything yet. God is still going to shock us by who he chooses and raises up 
to share this message. Do you know that there are young people all over the world proclaiming this message with power? I'm talking about they're serious too. Let's look at the primary function of Jesus' role as our heavenly high priest is to make salvation a reality in our lives, praise be to God. The cross of Calvary was not the end of salvation process. Jesus, the Lamb who died for us, now ministers for us as our high priest. In the Old Testament, the priest stood before the holiness of God and became the mediator between God and the sinner. In this way, the sinner had constant access to God and God had constant access to his people. When Jesus returned to heaven, he personally took on the role of ministering before the Father to bring salvation to us. Jesus is the link between, the human, between human frailty and divine immortality. He restores our relationship with God and gives us spiritual power to live a victorious Christian life. I love that word that's over there in Hebrews chapter 2 where it says that it is Jesus who is able to succor us and aid us in this battle. He, uh, notice the next question, what was the day of atonement? Leviticus chapter 23 verse 27 and I'm going to move a little bit quicker here. The tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of what? Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Okay, so what, is, what was the Day of Atonement? The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, occurred just once every year. This was the only day the high priest entered the most holy place, once a year. It was a day of judgment and a solemn time of repentance. So we know, we know that there, there's some, there's a, it's synonymous. Atonement, judgment, cleansing. All synonymous. Atonement, judgment, cleansing. They all mean the same thing. That's why over there in Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, it says, and after, and after 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be what? Cleansed. Okay? And it says here, the day to ensure there was complete harmony between God and his people, those who refused to participate were cut off from God's people. Every day the priests offered sacrifices. That's the daily. Transferring the record of sin symbolized by eating some of the flesh of the sacrifice or sprinkling some of the blood Onto the holy place of the sanctuary. The day of atonement was a day to cleanse the sanctuary from sin. The record of our sins. The prophet Daniel predicted a time when the sanctuary in heaven would also be cleansed. Daniel 8, 14. There would be a judgment prior to the second coming of Christ. A time of blessing for all whose lives are surrendered to Jesus. Question number 12. Go ahead, Garrett. Um, I mean, um, Brett. Sorry. No. Jews can be accepted right now with Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I know yeah. that, but, but in Revelation, it, it talks about the temple being desecrated um, from the, the from the, uh, the, the the abomination of desolation. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. If you, if you don't mind, I can actually share that with you right after. Okay, okay that, all right, thanks, Brett. 
Okay, and by the way, that's also found in, um, that's also found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Um, Jesus talks about that when we read Daniel, let us understand. And he's talking about, you know, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet. So that was actually a, a, a prophetic, prophetic um, take on what happened in A.D. 70. But prior to that, the abomination of desolation had already been set up. You see, one thing that we must understand, folks, is that when Jesus was here on earth, you remember he entered the temple. He entered the, te- entered the temple how many times to cleanse it? Twice. Okay? The first time he came in, he said, this is my house. And, you, and my house should be a house of what? Prayer. But you have made it a den of what? Thieves and robbers. But then the second time he came around into the temple precinct, what did he say? He said, your house is left unto you what? Desolate. So, I just want to share that, you know, Christ was pointing to something that happened, and we know that that did take place. The abomination of desolation was set up. The Christians saw the sign, and that's why they didn't perish in the city when it was, besieged, when it was sieged in AD 70. So, not to get off track, let's, let's, let's continue on. What, what was done on the Day of Atonement and, that symbolized the final removal of sin? Leviticus chapter 16, verse 8, notice what the Bible says. Aaron shall cast lots for the two what? For the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for who? The scapegoat. On the day of atonement, two goats were chosen. The Lord's goat was killed as a sacrifice for God's people. Blood from the goat was taken by the high priest into the most holy place and sprinkled on the mercy seat upon the Ark of the Covenant. This represented the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God to save us from our sins. Would you say amen? Now, again, I'm going to share with you. Now, you got to look this up, but it's, it's, it's there. The blood of Christ is actually applied twice. Once in the holy place, once in the what? Most holy place. Symbolizing that in the most holy place, listen, our record of sin, but what it also points out is that we are forgiven and the blood of Christ covers us. Okay? Do, are, we, are we clear on that? The blood of Christ covers us. But please listen to something, what I'm going to say. This is why the power of choice and free will is so important. We have the ability, we have the choice to make whether or not we want to remain under the blood or we can uncover and come out from under the blood. See, the reason why the second application of the blood is important on the mercy seat during this time is because God will eventually not just forgive us of our sins, but he will also blot it out. Would you say amen? In other words, it'll be expunged, Brother Scott. There'll be no more record of your sin. I don't know about you, but that, that excites me. Right? Because, you know, I've, been, I've, I've done some crime in my life, and I had a record. But praise be to God, years later, man, I praise God when a judge actually expunged my record and said, your record is wiped clean. Would you say Amen. And that's what God wants to do. That's the blotting out of sin. Yes, sir. Where is he doing that? Well, you know, it's happening for some. It's happening, yeah. Because we have to understand something. We're living in the antitypical day of atonement, are we not? And the high priest is doing that work. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, folks, listen. It's very clear, it's very clear, not just from the Bible, but also from that little old lady. That judgment, listen, judgment is going to pass from the dead to the living. 
And, and, and we, we have to look at this entire, this entire atonement thing that's going on. And listen to what the people are doing. The Bible says that they're afflicting their souls. They're searching their hearts. They're confessing what? Their what? Their sins. You know what, me and Pastor, we have a dual role. One part of it we love, the other part we don't love so much. <laughs> and that is this, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Amen? Some things that are just not, I mean, people, uh, you know, Brother Ed was joking around with me. But man, you know what? Sometimes, you know, we're not just stepping on toes, but we're walking all over people's feet. So, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Let's, let's continue on and finish up. Notice this. The blood from the goat was taken by the high priest into the most holy place and sprinkled on mercy seat upon the Ark of the Covenant. This represented the blood of Jesus and the mercy of God to save us from our sins. Following this, following this, notice, so there, there, is, there is a sequential order that is taking place here. Following this, the sins of the sanctuary were symbolically transferred to the scapegoat. And please don't misunderstand this. It's not saying that the, skip, the scapegoat is taking on our sins because Christ was already our sacrifice, was he not? He took upon himself our sins, our guilt, our condemnation. But now listen, now all of this is placed upon him because he instigated sin. And praise be to God. Praise be to God because of Jesus. Listen, beloved, all the wicked, the root and the branches are going to burn. But we don't have to burn for our own sins. You know why? Because when we confess them and give them to Jesus, not only does he, cleanse, not only does he forgive us, but he blots it out. Following his sins, so I've read that, notice this, the scapegoat was taken into the wilderness, Leviticus 16, 21, 22, to die a lonely death, representing that at the end of the judgment, Satan will be punished for the sins of humanity. Following Jesus' second coming, the devil will be confined to the earth, planet earth, for how long, everybody? A thousand years. We already studied about that. At the end of this period, he will finally perish in the lake of fire. Let's go to question number 13, because time, for the sake of time, I'm sorry that I've gone a little bit longer than I should have. What makes Jesus our perfect high priest for today? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. In all things, he had to be made like his who? Oh, man. Brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in how many points? All points. Tempted as we are, and praise God for this, yet without what? Yet without sin. Yet without sin. Jesus was born in human flesh and was tempted to sin. He knows what it's like to feel the pull of temptation and understands our struggle with the flesh. As a result, he is full of mercy and sympathy when we confess our sins. Jesus resisted temptation. He was completely without sin. Jesus gained the victory over temptation in his personal experience and is ready to give you help just when you need it most. Because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the requirements of the law, he can substitute his perfect life for your sinful life. Wow. There's a song out there that, said that, that, that goes like this, his life for mine's. His life for mine. And I praise God that he was willing to exchange and take my sinful life and exchange it and give me his righteousness. As a result, we can go boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Even more so, he is able to help us follow his example and live a life free from sin. 
through his power. Would you say amen? Three points to remember. The sanctuary demonstrates the plan of salvation. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus from start to finish. Do you know that when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the plan of salvation, there's not one, there's not one stitch of human devising in it. Not one. It's Jesus through and through. The sanctuary outlines how God solves the problem of sin. Praise God. Praise God. He's going to eradicate sin once and for all. Would you say amen to that? And he's going to put the devil down once and for all. And then number three, the heavenly sanctuary is where Jesus now ministers to bring you and me salvation. And I praise God for that. That's why it's so beautiful to study the word of God, to study the sanctuary, and most of all, to study and lift up Jesus. You know, beloved, we've been blessed with this beautiful message that God has given us, and, uh, you know, we're to share it. We're not to hoard it and keep it to ourselves. There are people who are, who are, who are desperately waiting to hear the good news of salvation that only Jesus, that only Jesus can give and only Jesus can bring. I close, you know, um, Time is coming, folks, when, when the intercession of Christ will, 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 will end in the heavenly sanctuary. Probation will close according to Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. And then Jesus will return to this earth. And I don't know when our names will come up in review, and our record will come up in review. But as I said, mentioned earlier this morning, don't, let's not be like Felix and think there's a more convenient time to give our hearts to God. There's no better time than now. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Amen? And that, I mean, that's every day. So if it's your desire to just say, Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you had this plan from eternity past. <laughs> it was not some plan that was formulated after the fall. But God saw the existence of, of, of sin and he did not preordain that it should exist, but he was ready in case of an emergency. You remember the five points that I made, and I'm closing with this. You remember the five points I made on one of the earlier nights? On... on why we know that God is love? God is love. Listen, God is love. And God expressed that love by creating this world and the universe. And then God shared that love by creating human beings with creating human beings because he wanted to share all things with us. And then he gave us free will and free choice, did he not? And at a great risk. But he was willing to take that risk because just in case sin should enter the world and sin should cause problems, God had an emergency plan already in place. And that was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen? Is it your desire tonight to say, Lord, I want to accept your sacrifice again on my behalf. I want to experience baptism again. I want to be your witness. Be, come in me and be the light. I want to study your word more. I want to... I want to pray more and spend more time in prayer and communion and intercession.
For others, if that's your desire tonight, then raise your hands. And Lord, write your law upon our hearts and our minds. Father in heaven, Lord, this is our prayer tonight. You see all of us, Lord, here tonight, raised our hands raised, praising you and thanking you for your son, Jesus, who stepped off of his throne and came all the way down to this planet because he loved us more than he loved himself and gave himself for us. I pray, dear God, for every person under the sound of my voice, and this preacher included, that you would help us, Lord, to accept you as our personal Lord and Savior again right now. Come into our hearts, dwell in us, tabernacle with us. And Lord, we just want to thank you for all that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will do. Bless your people. Take us home safely tonight. Give us a good night's rest and bring us back here safely tomorrow night. In Jesus' name I pray. Let everyone say amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow night at 7 p.m.